Um, just to reinforce the issue about the prayer meeting tonight, we will pray for many things. Uh, however, the main thing is a building before us we want to ask God for. Yes? Uh, I, I want God to give us, that, give us it or give us the means to buy it and then give us the means to develop it and run it. That's all. Uh, so we need God to work miracles and we need him to do it now. So we'll be meeting tonight at 7. I'll be here. Some of you coming. 7 o'clock to pray. Yeah, great. Okay. Um, I'm going to look at Daniel chapter 11 and 12. Uh, I don't have a PowerPoint today because I couldn't work out what to put on it. Um, we've been working our, through, our way through the book of Daniel on Sunday mornings and uh, we will reach today and next week we will reach the end of the book. Uh, to be honest, I was wishing we hadn't, when I was preparing, I was wishing we hadn't said we'd do it at all because it's quite difficult, the last bit. And um, I was thinking, why ever did we do this? And why ever did I say I'd do the last bit of it myself? Which is my own silly fault. Um, however, all the way through the book, its main message, as far as I'm concerned, is that God is in charge, our times are in his hands, he knows the end from the beginning, and he'll have his way. Okay? Because the book's all about God. And that's comforting and encouraging. However, there are other things for us to learn, some of which are still unclear. And uh, as we read through Daniel, you find the first six chapters contain accounts of faith and adventure that inspire all of us. Uh, from there on, the last six chapters get more and more difficult to understand. They're filled with all sorts of visions that can be a challenge even to the most advanced Bible scholars. They're very prophetic chapters, and over the years, theologians have developed varying opinions as to, to, so they could try and understand the fulfillment of, of these prophetic visions. And then you get to the last four chapters that are even harder, and it just gets more and more difficult towards the end. So what I'm going to do today is actually give you an overview of chapters 9 to 11, and then next week we'll have a look at the issue of the end time, in Scripture, end time prophecies, starting with Daniel 12. Um, now you could be asking why you're starting Daniel 9, because that's already been done, and I thought you'd been doing Daniel 12. Well, Daniel 9 through 12 sit together, really, prophetically. You can't deal with them in isolation. And so, um, to talk about the last two chapters, I need to do the two before. Now, I'm not going to read chunks of Daniel to you. I, you need to read that at home on your own. Um, we, we could just spend all time reading it. But I, I want to talk about it, and we'll dip in and out. You see in Daniel 9 that Daniel, this, this guy who was taken into captivity from Jerusalem uh, as a young guy, a young, fit guy, he's taken into captivity in Babylon and he never comes back home to Jerusalem. He's there in captivity for the rest of his days. But we find that he's a reader of the scriptures. He, he, we're told he read in the prophet Jeremiah what had been prophesied and from that he came to understand that the captivity he was in, the Babylonian captivity, would last 70 years. This, this captivity, actually in verse 2 of chapter 9, is called the desolation of Jerusalem. So there's a lesson for us all here. We need to be people who read and understand the scriptures. Uh, that's how we want, if we want to know the days, understand the days we live in and the context of our Christian walk and journey, we need to read the scriptures. We need to read prophecy, understand it, just as Daniel read prophecy and understood the days he lived in. See, it says in Amos 3.7, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plans to his servants, the prophets. And we need to always remember that our times are in God's hands. What a relief that he's working out his purposes on the earth. 
don't know if you watch the news much. Anybody watch the news? I'm an avid news watcher. It's not good news, is it? 99% of the stuff you get, you can flick from BBC News to Sky News to CNN to Al Jazeera, whatever you like, and it's always bad news. Okay? And, and if you're not careful, you go, oh my, isn't the world in a mess? Yeah, it is. But in the midst of it, God is working out his purposes. And we need to know that. And where do we find the answer to that? In Scripture. The Bible tells us. And God speaks to us prophetically through Scripture. So we mustn't despise prophecy. We need to understand what the Bible says to us. How do we despise prophecy? We ignore it. We just ignore what God says. That's despising it. All biblical prophecy is true. And then God still speaks today as well through prophetic people. That's not the same as Scripture, but we are to weigh what's said and and test the things what's said. And when we come to the conclusion, this is actually God speaking to us, then we mustn't ignore it either, but we must let that shape the way we live. So hence, this building sitting before us, Julian prophesied at the end of November, the building was coming our way in the next six to eight months. Here we are right at the end of eight months, or at the beginning of eight months, and this building's there before us. You know, you, you look at it and go, it, it, it's all lining up. We'd better pay attention to this. We, we can't just then become pragmatic and say, well, it's too hard. Nothing's too hard for God. So we line up with what God says. That's how you handle the prophetic. But it is a challenge a lot of the time. I find so anyway. So by now, in, in, in Daniel uh, chapter uh, 9 you find that Daniel's probably in his 70s or 80s. So he's been there since he was a teenager. So this book, we, we read it quickly, but he's been there for years and years and years. He's lived through the captivity. And he's come to the conclusion that the days of captivity are coming to an end. And, and he's, during that time, he'd remained faithful to the Lord and proved God over and over again. And so there's a lesson there for us, isn't there? It's not just how we start, it's how we finish. Something about staying faithful all the days of our lives. It's easy, you know, when you're a young guy, I'm going to take on the world. Well, you're maybe not that sort of guy, maybe a bit timid like I was and shy, and I'm an engineer, and I like to mend electronic organs, and that's who I am, really. But God got hold of me and said, you can shape the world like anybody else. You can make a difference like anybody else, not because you're clever, but because I'm God and I've chosen you to be mine. Hmm. So do I go on the adventure with God or not? Or do I hide behind my shyness? Do I hide behind my gifting, which is I'm an engineer? I'm not a student. I never went to university. Perish the thought. I'm not that sort of guy. Not that I'm despising university, understand? But it's just not how I'm wired. I'm a hands-on sort of learner. And yet here I am, Preaching from Daniel. God, what's that? It's God taking us on an adventure of a walk with the Spirit of God. And it comes and he reveals things and unpacks truth to us. And we go, wow, wow. I'm on a journey with God that's an adventure of revelation, of truth that sets me free and sets me, shapes all my life. We need to keep going. We need to persevere. We need to learn to finish well. So in Daniel 9, we read that he starts to fast and pray for the nation of Israel, repenting on behalf of the people and so on. And we're told in verse 21 of Daniel 9 that while he was praying, the angel Gabriel came to him and he said, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. 
As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. And the angel Gabriel then goes, talks to him about 77s, 70 periods of time that are decreed to Israel and Jerusalem to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, and enter sin to atone for wickedness, to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. And, and Gabriel then goes on to give more detail of what happens during those 77s. Now, most Bible commentators agree that that passage of Scripture is one of the hardest to understand in the whole of the Bible. Uh, and to be honest, not many have much idea what it means. Well, I've come to the conclusion, lots of people try, but they're all saying different things. And guess what? I've no idea what it means either. I have some thoughts, but I have nothing certain that I could preach to you with confidence about those 77, in terms of what it means literally. All I know is this, there are seven periods of time, and God, 70 periods of time, and God is working out his purposes during those 70 periods of time. If you want to talk to me more after, I'm happy to discuss it further, but it's not what I want. I don't want to preach beyond what the Bible says and what we know. So on to Daniel 10. One of the things we learn from Daniel 10 is that there are spiritual forces at work in the heavenly and spiritual realms that we don't always understand a great deal. Remember a few weeks, a couple, two or three weeks ago, Raj opened that, that up for us very well, actually, one Sunday morning. He used that and opened up the whole issue of of spiritual forces in the heavenlies and what, what goes on and uh, our battles on the earth. But we need to understand that the, the angels are at work in the heavenly realm and dealing with issues and God's working out his purposes that way. So a brief, brief overview of chapter 10 is this. It says, In the third year of the reign of King Cyrus, Babylon had fallen to the Persians and now King Cyrus... Babylon had fallen to the Persians and now King Cyrus was ruling... I don't know if you know anything about King Cyrus or you're a student of history or people who avidly read the Bible, but he's a bit of a, I, I like King Cyrus. I want to read to you from Isaiah 45, verses 1 to 7, because King Cyrus is this pagan king. He's a Persian pagan king, okay? And this is what it says in Isaiah 47. It says, this is what the Lord says to his anointed. What, this pagan king? Yeah. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. I will go before you and will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen, God working out his plans for his people, I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, God may know there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and create the darkness I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all of these things. So you need to see here the sovereignty of God. God working out his purposes on the earth in the midst of, well, look at that terrible king. Look at this terrible situation. Look at that ruler. Look at what's going on in the Middle East right now. And you think, what a complete mess. You know what? In the middle of it, God is working out his purposes. 
Isn't it good to know that? I don't understand it all. I don't need to understand it all. All I know is, Isaiah says, this is what God was saying to this King Cyrus, this pagan king. He was bringing to an end the Babylonian captivity. So Babylon is defeated and King Cyrus is ruling. God working out his plans for his people. Now this happened around three to five years after Daniel's encounter with Gabriel in the previous chapter. And then we, we go on. It looks like Daniel starts praying and fasting again. And this time for three weeks. This is Daniel 10 we're dealing with. I'm not going to unpack. I'm not going to read it to you because I haven't got time. But what we're told is he, he sees probably an archangel. He has a revelation, an encounter, a vision. It could even be a thing called a theophany. And you know, anybody know what a theophany is? All right. A theophany is a pre-incarnate encounter with Jesus. That's an encounter with Jesus before he comes as a little baby in Bethlehem. Here's the second person of the Trinity. Probably that. There are a few times in the Old Testament where that may be what's going on, but we don't know for sure. But this vision he has overwhelms Daniel. He was with other people by the, the banks of the river Tigris. And only Daniel actually saw the vision, although those with him were terrified by something and they ran away. It was such an encounter, though, Daniel couldn't breathe. I don't know if you've, guys, if you've ever met a girl who takes your breath away. Anybody ever done that? Nobody? Girls, have you? Yeah, Angela, you, you met, oh, you, she took, oh, which way around was it? Oh, do, do, do you know those moments? Have you never done that? Have you, have, have, girls, have you never met a guy who you just go, whew, whew, yeah. yeah, see? <laughs> when I met Jonathan, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, I, I imagine. He takes my breath away. That sort of stuff. Well, actually, what, what this was, this was something much more than that. This wasn't a little emotional wobble. This is like, oh, he couldn't breathe. He was overwhelmed with this vision of this heavenly being. He only survived the encounter because he was given strength by the one he was seeing. And this one speaks to him and explains that as soon as, as soon as Daniel had given himself to pray, God had heard and was responding. But there was a delay caused by things that were going on in the heavenly realm. The thing to notice for me here is, although there was a delay, Daniel's prayer was answered. Okay? I think we can learn and be confident that God always answers prayer, but sometimes they are delayed. And we don't know why, but we're told to pray without ceasing, to keep praying. We're going to keep asking God for this building. You know, it's not, oh, there it is now. No, no, now's the time to pray like we've never prayed before. Because we, something's got to move in the heavenlies. I'm asking God to give us it, by the way. <laughs> you know, I'd like the half million, but one way or another, I want that building, Right? And that's just for starters, because there's other buildings to come. So we're asking God, God, we're asking you to move something now and work miracles of provision and give us the building, because it's in line with what you said. And so that's how Daniel prayed. And, and as he prayed, yes, his prayer was delayed, and, and it's explained to him why, because things were going in the heavenlies, but God still came through and still answered the prayer. And then in verse 20 of chapter 10, this, this heavenly being, this, this archangel, or even Jesus, asked Daniel a question. Good to be asked a question by someone you've got no idea who it is. He says, do you know why I've come to you? Uh, was probably the answer. Uh. Do you, do you ever do that? Uh, most of the time, perhaps. <laughs> Probably it's like, 
um, I'm a bit overwhelmed here. I, I don't know how to respond. I can imagine him saying. He said, do you know why I've come? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greek, Greece will come. Again, things in the heavenlies. But first, this is, this is, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. Okay. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. Michael is probably an archangel with particular responsibility for the Jewish people. And then we go into chapter 11, verse 1. And in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. So we have this heavenly being, maybe Jesus, supporting and protecting this archangel Michael. And that again speaks to me of how God's working out his perfect plan with his people. Now where it says the first year of Darius the Mede, if you do any research, no one knows who Darius the Mede is. There's no record of him in history at all. It's likely, though, that he is the local ruler of Babylon who's ruling on behalf of King Cyrus. Okay? That's the most likely uh, person it is, but we don't know. That's an aside, really. Uh, what we need to look at is now is what is written in the book of truth in these last two chapters of Daniel. So the next question is this. What is the book of truth? I don't know. I've come to tell you what's written in the book. Okay. What's the book of truth? I don't know. We aren't told. But it's likely that it's referencing God's plans that are being worked out. God's plans for history. God's plans for his people. It's likely that's what's written in the book of truth. And it's likely it's referencing those plans that are being worked out. And Daniel's being shown some of these things, these plans for the people of God. So what we go through now and next week could be called a vision of the time of the end. Sounds very apocalyptic, doesn't it? Sort of scary, you know. All these films today, we love films that bring the world to an end. Have you seen how many they are? You know, it's, it's going to be destroyed by flood, by ice, by the sun, by meteorites, by everything. It's all, <laughs> we live in those days. Did anybody watch all of those? Some of you, yeah, okay. Well, it's none of those things. Ice Age, yeah, Ice Age. Oh, what, yeah, yeah, okay. Daniel 11.35 says this. Some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed time. God is in charge. Whatever anybody says, however bad people talk about the world, how they say, oh, it's terrible, it can't survive, whatever, the end will come at the appointed time, because God's in charge. We need to know that. So let me try and summarize chapter 11 if I can. As I say, I, I feel a bit sorry for you today because this is not an easy preach to do. This is really not an easy preach to do. But I'm trying to give you a flavor of the whole of it rather than unpack it. Chapter 11 is, is remarkable because, uh, because much of the book of, uh, along with much of the book of Daniel, it, it records prophecy that for the most part has been fulfilled in detail. Okay? It tells of a struggle between the Persians and the Greeks, and also a time of struggle between the king of Syria and the king of Egypt. And all these took place after Daniel's day. After Daniel's day. Okay? He, was, he was, hadn't that revelation, but after he died, these things began to unpack. 
Most of that which is revealed in Daniel here in this vision has now been prophetically and historically fulfilled. So it concerns the few hundred years between the Old and the New Testament, probably up to AD 70, most of it. These historic events are described in great detail and cover these 300 years, uh, and you can see that the prophecies have been worked out exactly in history if, you're a, if you want to study history. And I'll give you just one or two instances. So in Daniel 11:2 it says, Now then I tell you the truth, three more kings will arise in Persia, and then a fourth, who will be far richer than all the others. And when he has gained power by his wealth, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. History tells us that the kings who followed Cyrus were Cambyses, Smyrdis, Darius the Great, and Xerxes, which is called Ahasuerus in the book of Esther. Okay? Anybody heard of Xerxes? We have. But these, these are one of the four that followed on from Cyrus. Then we go on verses 3 and 4. Then a mighty king will arise who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. And after he has arisen, his empire will be broken up and parceled out toward the four winds of heaven. And it will not go to his descendants, nor will it have the power he exercised, because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. This is almost certainly speaking of Alexander the Great. After he died, his kingdom wasn't given to his family, but was divided up into four pieces. And this was also prophesied in Daniel 8, 21 and 22. And these four leaders were Seleucius I, who began the Seleucid or the Syrian Empire from Turkey to India, Cassander, who took over Macedonia, uh, Lysimachus, who took over Thracia, that's between Greece and Turkey, and Ptolemy I, who ruled over Egypt. Now you might think, wow, you're a student of history? No, I just searched that out. Okay. But all of that first bit that I've just said there was all about the Persian and Greek conflict. But it was actually the Syrian-Egyptian conflict that probably hurt Israel the most. Israel was caught in the middle and suffered greatly. I won't go through it all, but I do want to mention a guy called Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a very nasty piece of work. Raj must have studied him, have you? Do you know anything about this guy? Lots, you see. That's what I like to see. He became king of Syria around 175 BC, and in 170 BC, Antiochus plundered Jerusalem, and around 166 BC, he forcibly stopped the sacrifices in the temple, and he put a Greek god in there to be worshipped, and he sacrificed a pig on the Holy of Holies. Pretty unpleasant. Okay? I mean, that's just horrendous. It doesn't get worse than that, does it? That's desecration of the highest order. And, and many people think that's what's been referred to in, in Daniel 9, 26 and 7, 27. Let me read that. After the 62 sevens, okay, this is in the middle of the... That's 77, 70 sevens. After 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and have nothing. The people of the ruler will come and will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations, uh, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. At the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed to be poured out on him. Okay. Now, at first glance, that sounds plausible that that's what's been spoken of. Okay. This Antiochus, this guy who desecrated the temple, maybe that's what, that's what the prophecy is about. Okay. The abomination that causes desolation is this guy. 
Okay, he des- he, I mean, he, it's an abomination to put a pig on the altar. You know, pig, to, to the Jews, the pig was totally unclean. And he, he sacrifices right there where they are, all the animal sacrifices uh, took place. And it sounds plausible that he's the guy. If it, and if you accept that view, then you can go through the whole of that chapter and the next chapter and work out that all the prophecies of Daniel have already been fulfilled by now. And I've read books and read other stuff that say all the prophecies of Daniel were fulfilled by A.D. 70 or A.D. 150. That'd be nice to say, wouldn't it? It's all wrapped up with a ribbon on. Who, how many people like things that are tidy and neat and we understand? We don't understand all the prophecies, but we know they're fulfilled. That would be nice. However, I don't think that's the same. Some people go on to say that all biblical prophecy has been fulfilled virtually and point out to the prophecies of Jesus coming as a baby and so on. Um, but I, I, I can't, that doesn't square with the Bible for me. It really doesn't. One of the things, when we're talking about the time of the end, what is it about? What is the time of the end? Okay? We think of it in terms of, it's the end of the world. It's, it's, it's the whole thing being wiped out. It's the new heaven and the new earth. We're not told it could be the end, and some people think it's the end of the people of Israel as a nation. Because that ended between AD 70 and AD 150. They were scattered all over the world. And people said, that was it then. There's a lot of people have that view. Um, but it doesn't square up with the Bible again as I read it. Sadly, I'll unpack more of this next week, but in Daniel 12:4, Daniel's told, but you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase in knowledge. Hmm. Okay. Again, Daniel 12:9. He's go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. So actually, it's saying you can't understand some of this, which is really nice to have to preach on something that the Bible says you're not going to understand it. That's really frustrating for me. And so I don't know if I'm helping you well, but hopefully I'll unpack it better next week. What I can't go along with is the time of the end end refers to Israel being scattered among the nations because there are prophecies that speak of Israel becoming a nation again which it did in 1948 and, and God continues his work throughout history we, we mustn't, I don't unpack the whole Israel thing now but we mustn't we, we, we kind of get a, a, a theological view and then you know, we, we understand scripture with that view let scripture speak for itself I cannot say it speaks to the end of Israel as a nation because it's still a nation and Jesus messes things up as well. Jesus kept doing that in all sorts of ways. Wherever he came, he messed things up. He turned over tables. He, he upset the, the, the religious people of the day. He, he quite liked doing that. It, it, it just did. Hypocrisy, he revealed. He just blew it apart. And, uh, you know, we might like to think that Antiochus Epiphanes was the guy who desecrated the temple, and, and, and that refers to that. However, I'm going to read to you I'm nearly finished, by the way, so it's quite good. But Matthew 24, I'm going to read verses 1 to 25. So this is really my biggest Bible reading. Um, But this is Jesus speaking. And I'll unpack this more because actually Jesus in in Revelation was, this is going to do it next week, Jesus in Revelation was the one who opened the scrolls. The scrolls are, are shut in Daniel, but in Revelation Jesus is the one, the only one who is worthy to open the scrolls. And so the one who will bring revelation to history, the revelation to end time, is Jesus. Okay? And so we need to listen to what Jesus said. And this Matthew 24 
is quite a challenge. Jesus left the temple and was walking away. Now the temple, you understand, was beautiful. It was ornate. It was covered in gold. It was glorious. It was amazing. And he left the temple and he's walking away. But the disciples came to him, calling his attention to the buildings, to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he said to them? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to, to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and, they, and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see, standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken through the prophet Daniel, and then it says, let the reader understand, duh, right? Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be a great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. That's us. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. False messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform gate signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you, ahead of time. Now, I'll, I'll go back to Matthew 24 next week. But it's clear in verse 15, as far as Jesus is concerned, the abomination that causes desolation talked about in Daniel has not yet happened. So Antiochus Epiphanes is big in the, in the Holy of Holies is not what's being prophesied, prophesied about in Daniel 27. And I, as I say, I'll, I'll talk about that more next week. But we have to understand that means... History is still being worked out. This is where I'm getting to. That means there is prophetic fulfillment from this last bit of Daniel and going through what Jesus said and into Revelation and some of uh, Paul's writings that speak of the end of days and, and the, the end of time and, and the new heaven and the new earth and Jesus coming again. All of those things are there for us. And it says, let the reader understand. See, Daniel understood the days he lived in because he read the scriptures and he prayed and he understood this is talking about me now, okay? We need to be a people who read the scriptures and understand So this is talking about us now, okay? We're not being predictive about when Jesus is coming, but we need, the Bible tells us to understand the days we live in. And so I'm going to try and, and, and I haven't prepared it yet, but I'm going to try and unpack some of that next Sunday.
So as far as I'm concerned, there are many Bible prophecies that are not yet fulfilled, but are ready and waiting to be fulfilled in our day and in the years to come. So I finish where I started. God is in charge. Our times are in his hands. He knows the end from the beginning, and he will have his way. Hallelujah. And next week, Daniel 12, along with other prophecies about end times and the second coming. Can I pray for us? Shirley, could you come back, please? And God, I, I thank you that your word brings revelation. I thank you you are a God who loves to reveal truth to us. 